Welcome back to What We Don't Know. I'm your host, Xander Schultz. I'm out here with my producer, Phineas. Phineas, you want to introduce our guest? Absolutely, yeah. So this week we have on Ibrahim Al-Husseini, an impact investor, venture capitalist focusing on the environment. And his fund invests primarily in technology that can impact our world. Infrastructure that scales infrastructure that will change how like old industries function and, and bring them into the new century and scale that infrastructure. So the, we're talking about things like energy, waste, transportation, the big industries that produce the majority of harm to our environment. We have so many different types of folks on this show. He's one that is taking a very capital-centric approach to his activism, to this issue. I think what's inspiring about Ibrahim is that he carries an activist lens. He's not a capitalist that's doing good. And like, he really is more of an activist. He's like, I, I, we have an issue. I'm going to do my best to change it. This is the vehicle I'm going to use to do so. He's reverse engineered it from the point of like, all of these technologies need to be all over the world. How do I make that happen? Versus like, how do I become a very successful fund manager? All right, well, we've said enough about him. Let's let the man speak for himself. Let's get into it. How would you describe the problem you're solving? Okay, so well, first let me clear something up is most people don't understand climate change and global warming. Even the people who are very much in the space and feel that they understand it. So right. can I take a minute and just describe the issue? You can take two to three minutes and describe the issue if you'd like. Okay, so I'm <laughs> gonna try to do it as fast as possible. So there's a carbon cycle on earth, which means that everything that's alive eventually dies and breaks down into methane and methane eventually turns into CO2. And it also breaks down into CO2. So, you know, plants, animals, bacteria, diatoms, phytoplankton, fish, you know, everything eventually breaks down and that's the cycle of life and part of it is this you know all these gases that go up into the atmosphere and then spring comes alive and sucks them back down and leaves pop out and so that cycle is about a hundred gigatons a gigaton is about a four hundred thousand olympic size swimming pools worth of gas which is not the right uh, analogy but you get the point. Yeah, that so that doesn't a, help me visualize much. Right. 400,000 yeah. 400,000. You know, the usual 400,000 <laughs> you know, Olympic size swimming pools. You know, when you go yeah. to the mall and there's those 400,000 <laughs> swimming pools. But it's a lot. It sounded like a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot, lot. You know, so the cycle before human beings kind of came on the scene was 100 up, 100 down, 100 up, 100 down. And suddenly this new species arrives on the scene and, you know, they have this neocortex. And they're like, whoa, I'm going to invent tools. You know, mm. uh, look at these these resources. They're called, we don't know what they're called. They're trees. I can build things from them. I can burn them. So it starts mm. cutting down trees. So now we have one of these, you know, decades old, century old beings that used to suck down carbon every year, dying because we're cutting them down. And then, mm. you know, fast forward tens of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years, and we dig a hole in the ground looking for some water and this black stuff gushes out and before that, you know, we dig, go down to mine and we find some coal. And basically we start digging up old carbon. Right. So then we're like, and we're, you know, so we're clearing forests. So there's less of the stuff sucking down the carbon. Right. And we're digging up new carbon. And, you know, we're starting to create a deficit and a bigger deficit times hundreds of years. So now you have this imbalance 
between what we as a modern civilization are producing in greenhouse gas emissions and what the earth can absorb. And just like a greenhouse, the sun hits through our atmosphere, heats up all of these molecules in these invisible molecules in our atmosphere. And usually the stuff gets bounced back into space, but some of it stays in the atmosphere, heats up our planet times decades is resulting in an in a imbalance of our kind of life support system. Right. So which people don't do people take Earth for granted. Earth is a very delicate system. And every time the chemical balance get disrupted, we do get a massive extinction event. This is not some big uh, revelation. It's just that this time, this species of 8 billion people, 50% of which are now consumers, right? You know, and the other 50% is about to join the ranks of consumers now want stuff, they want energy, they want iPads, they want cars, they want air conditioning, they want to go on vacation, they want to buy their kids toys, etc. And that's their right to do just like we all had that party, they have the same party, but it, the math doesn't work. Right. There's that fact that like I've, I've seen a bunch of times where it's like if everyone lived like an American, we would need five Earths or 10 Earths or whatever it is. Right. Bef before we leave the problem, that was a great one-on-one course. Before we leave climate change and climate crisis 101, do you have anything to add there before we get into like your theory of change and how you're, how you're tackling it? Um, so what else is there to say about it other than like it leads, you know, this, this disruption leads to something called biospheric collapse. Mm. So systems stop working because systems work within a certain range. Our age is called the Anthropocene, like the age of man, woman. And because we're such a dominant force on the planet. So since we're disrupting climate and basically, you know, like, dominating every natural ecosystem for our benefit, right, we are creating a phenomena called biospheric collapse, that is going to make life really ugly on the planet. And we don't want to do that. And we still have plenty of time to do something about it. So it's just it's really simple math and science. This is not propaganda. It's not drama. It's not chicken little. It's just this is math and chemistry. And, you know, we're just there. Okay, we're just like, we ran out of time. We're just here now. And we have to do something in terms of running out of time. Like when you use that term biospheric collapse, are we on the kind of precipice of it? Are we halfway down that road already? And and we need to like kind of reversing and, and get back to safety? How, how do people in your space that really understand this? How, how do they talk about that biospheric collapse and where we're at now? Well, I mean, I don't really, I don't know how to quantify it. I don't know if where we are. I mean, when you talk about the oceans, we fished 90% of all of the big species out already, right? So the, you know, so is, does that mean we're 90% of the way there and biospheric collapse on the ocean? Does that happen? You know, I don't know if uh, you or any of your listeners heard of something called ocean acidification. Well, ocean acidification comes from the oceans absorbing CO2 and creating carbonic acid which makes the oceans more acidic. Mm. And what that acidity does over time, and it makes it harder and harder for phytoplankton to build their little shells. If they're the beginning of the food chain, then zooplankton can't eat them, and small fish can't eat zooplankton, the medium, medium fish can't eat those. So you have a complete marine collapse 
food chain collapse. Right. So, you know, so I don't know where to quantify it, but it's something that we don't want. Right. Like we all don't want to live in a world where the only other beings that can survive are, you know, the, are, I don't know, cockroaches and rats and... Beyond meat. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lab-grown lab, lab protein. and that, That's all we got left. Yeah. I mean, it's no fun. Like, it's fun to have butterflies and hummingbirds and, you know, they also have a right to exist as well. I mean, they didn't do anything. They didn't contribute to this mess. We did. So, like, right. you know, why, why should whales cease to exist and why should their offspring suffer and why should that all happen because we can't get enough of buying more shit we don't need. When you say that 90% of all large marine life is dead, I wonder, like that's a stat where th there's so many of these things where like, shit, I need to do something about this. And I wonder, you know, when did your journey start where it went from like m maybe my stage that I'm at with the environment where it's like, I'm like aware, but I haven't like create, like my life mission isn't centered around it. I wonder, for you, was it like a data point like that? Was it a certain exposure you got? Like, when did your journey go from like, I'm, I'm aware of this to like, this is this is something I'm going to step into and, and it's my new mission? Great question. So, you know, the, so I know your story. It's an, an amazing story. And everybody who's listening who doesn't know Xander's story needs to know this man's story because he's an extraordinary human being. And that partially is informed by our individual journeys, right? So totally. I have an individual journey. My parents are refugees. I grew up in a host nation and I know arbitrary prejudice. Why, why do I know it? Because, you know, the like people who were imminently more qualified than other people were, were treated worse, not because they, for any other reason, just because of their cultural heritage. And that's how I grew up. So so once you experience arbitrary prejudice, which I guess all prejudice is arbitrary, you know, that becomes kind of colors the way you see the world. Mm. And it's not a victim thing. It's just a point of view that changes. You're like, oh, you yep. can see suffering where other people might not see suffering. You know, like I've always, for example, um, felt protective of, you know, like my female counterparts and friends because in my life I'm a big you know, big male, like physically big guy. And I right. never think about going to the car at night at dark. Well, my, all my female friends like hold their key as a weapon. Like, but right. I noticed that because I like, because I understand the world was a little imbalanced to me. So when that occurs for other beings, human or not, mm. I, I can see that. So, you know, even with that, I still set that aside most of my life and was a traditional, you know, capitalist in the sense that I was like, great, I built a business, made money, sold it, built another business, sold it, made more money, put that all together, became a general technology investor. You know, the still like was, you know, somewhat philanthropic and cared about things, but there was no focus. There was no thesis. There was just, you know, heartbreaking in certain places and trying to fix it with throwing money at it in the best way that I could. Right. You know, maybe joining a couple of boards here and there to specifically solve for certain issues. So anyway, so the, how I got into climate was originally because I was a scuba diver. Mm. And there was one spot where I'd go scuba dive once a year. So between 1993 and 2003, I'd go back to the same spot and it was my favorite spot on earth in the Red Sea. And I saw it go from the super lush, vibrant, life-filled landscape that I can tell you a thousand amazing stories of, like stories of just laying on the bottom of the sea and having schools of tuna by the thousands, just right. 
swim over me and they're all these massive giant fish that are they look like they're made of glass and they reflect the sunlight and then it looks like you're looking up at a disco ball and a decade later completely barren completely dead floating plastic where the fish was wow that makes it tangible yes it makes it that it, it goes from ideological or like a- a- academic to a place i love died exactly and then for somebody who is like on the you know money making uh hamster cage or whatever journey like i leave i'm walking out you know with my tank my you know bcd my equipment and i'm thinking like what is the point of accumulating all this wealth if the things that i care most about are going to end up looking like this mm. like beyond security there's also like a value of freedom and, and adventure and exploration that comes with accumulating wealth. But if the natural world is going to turn into a sewer, what's the point? Right. So that's when my journey kind of with clean tech, climate, uh, and the natural world began. So that was 2003. I basically turned my home into Climate University and hired every PhD that's willing to come and (laughs) teach me what the hell is going on. And between July and December, I got a made-up PhD in climate. All right, so you start getting this PhD because I'm sure, like you know, there's this there's this kind of like delta between like I want to do something and like I have any idea of what to do with this energy, and where do you arrive through this process, or what's that journey look like? So, so um, it culminated in a time where clean tech 1.0 was starting to like syndicate deals from you know sand hill road and you know i'd look at it as like as a as a as a managing member of my family office i'd look at all the deals and i'd be like okay so you know there is this thing bubbling up in the world where we can invest in infrastructure technology that's going to change the underpinnings of modern civilization from these 20th century or 19th century old dirty legacy systems to their 21st century clean counterparts and i'm not talking about a car by the way like most, mm. you know, a car or a, you know, biodegradable straw is a way that a consumer can kind of do their part. But right. just getting rid of one coal factory is the same as 559,000 Teslas on the road. So when did you start first? So you started investing in this like 1.0 of this infrastructure changeover in Silicon Valley. What happened next? What happened next is I learned something. I learned something very, very fundamental is climate change and we mentioned this before, is a race against time. So mm-hmm. the traditional arc that a company goes through from, you know, you know, whatever, let's say um, pilot stage, demonstration stage, commercial stage, national rollout, global rollout, that takes decades. Right. You don't have decades. Right. So just investing in equity in companies helps them become a thing one day, but it does not condense the time frame of which they dominate the vertical they're supposed to dominate. So I ended up developing a kind of purpose-built model uh, through um, a series of funds called Full Cycle, the latest of which is called Full Cycle Climate Partners, where we have this kind of risk-adjusted return. So there's no like expectations of any sort of compromised returns. So a very risk-adjusted return profile, but has the highest carbon return on investment for, you know, for every you know thousand dollars invested, not that we take thousand dollars, it's like a it's it's a much bigger uh, minimum for participation, unfortunately. But 
You know, the idea is to compress the time of which these climate-critical technologies replace their old, dirty counterparts. And that's really the mantra of what we do. Like, our North Star is something called CROI, Carbon Return on Investment. And we even condensed it and by adding a 20 to it. So it's CROI 20, which means the highest carbon return on investment in the next 20 years, not in the next 100 years, which is you know, obviously talks to the urgency, but also does something super counterintuitive. And it, it directs you to different molecules to get rid of other than CO2. The question that's coming up is, and I've felt this at times with all, with all sorts of technologies, is actually the technology we have is good enough if we scaled it. Like we live in a, a much better world if we just scaled the current or, or, you know, a safer world or whatnot. If we scaled what we have, but venture capital gets in this race of like, oh, I want to beat that technology before that and that. And like, sometimes you're like eating a small part of the market while like the, the primary old world solution just remains in place as you ballot, ballot it out with this like woke small fragment of the, <laughs> of, of, of the, uh, of the economy. I wonder if you were kind of seeing that it's like, we keep getting better at like solar tech, but actually if we just scaled our solar tech, we're good enough. We'll, we'll totally get off the grid. Were you seeing that? And that's partially, you know, why you started leaning into this thesis? So great point. And the analogy that I give all the time is if your house is on fire, it does not make sense to then go invest in inventing new firefighting technology, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. That's the best way to put it. Yeah. Right? You've thought longer about this than me, but that's, that's exactly the point I was trying to so, make. So, you know, grab some buckets, some fire hose and grab as many of them as you can and put them in as many hands as you can and we'll put out the fire. But if we are going to go now invest in firefight, new firefighting technology, by the time we invent it, the house is already burnt. It's gone. So the idea is even if we were going to spend the trillions that are needed, let's spend it where we're getting the biggest climate bang for the buck. So we have more time to first slow down the process of warming, eventually halt it and maybe one day start reversing it because it would be amazing to, for you know to let our grandchildren inherit a thriving planet instead of a hobbling one uh, let's ground this conversation in like your actual work in in like in how this looks in practice uh, I don't know if you want to use the waste company that we spoke about way back when or whichever example but I'd love to talk about an example of you putting this this idea and this thesis into practice so we as a fund, focus on about six to eight what we call platform companies, where when we find a company and then we invest primarily in their projects. So 85% of our fund is actually real assets that are designed to, again, accelerate the deployment of that tech in the world instead of just taking equity stakes and going for a ride with them. No, we just don't want to just go for a ride. We want to turn them into like the winningest racehorse in the race. Mm. So it's not about like, you know, whatever, what is it? Spray and pray. Hopefully these ones make it, these ones fail. No, we only target late stage companies where technology is already proven. And then we invest primarily in their projects. So, you know, we have two, we're about to add the third platform company. The first one does something really unique. Um, you know, you've heard the term circular economy before. Right. Right. So, you know, what does that mean? That means, is, you know, that whatever we throw away returns in some other form right. in perpetuity. And that's what this company pretty much does. It allows the world finally to be able to use all its waste, unsorted, 
not necessarily clean, so you don't have to waste a lot of water. Right. And then turns it into building blocks of new stuff in perpetuity. So we now don't have to go and scorch the earth again looking for new material. We can use the existing material and keep that in circularity to build new material over and over and over again. Right. And it does it at economics that don't just work for New York, Los Angeles, Berlin, Dubai. It works also for Jakarta and Kinshasa and Cairo, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a real six continent solution instead of, you know, just vanity projects for rich cities. What, how would you explain like full cycles, unique ability to help these companies scale? What, what, what special sauce do you all bring to them? We solve one of their biggest problems, which is uh, there's something called TRL, which is a, a NASA and Department of Defense term called technology readiness level that goes from one to nine, one being an idea on a napkin, nine being a commercial technology. And TRL eight, is like, let's say NASA sending rockets to space. They've sent many rockets to space without having anybody pay them for a payload. They're just like, that's part of science, that's part of testing. Right. So this is proven technologies, but uh, once they get paid for a payload, now it's a commercially viable technology, and that's TRL-9. So we bridge these companies from TRL-8 to TRL-9 by investing in their first commercial plants that are very expensive to build, that usually these companies have to pay for in some way, usually having to take a lot of, uh, sell a lot of equity, corporate equity to pay for them in the first place. And that dilutes all the founders and all the old shareholders, et cetera. And we solve that for those companies because we invest in those initial commercial plants. For that, we get an exclusive for a lot more of their plants at pre-existing terms, which that's how we make it up for our LPs long-term. But just that little piece. Plus, we also have cycle time experts where we can turn their offering into like simplify their offering, standardize their offering such that it meets the needs of 80% of the market that doesn't need customization. And then when we're ready, we'll get to that 20% of the market later that requires customization. By then, they're already a behemoth and they can do that on their own because they're a public company and they have all the money in the world, et cetera, right. et cetera. And we've done our part. So I, I li- as an entrepreneur, I live in TRL one for the most part. <laughs> I didn't know that term, but I'm definitely a TRL one uh, entrepreneur. I, I usually get bored and try to hand it to someone else by the time we're hitting TRL two. Well, you're brilliant. Anytime you have a napkin with an idea on it, give it to me. I'll hand okay. it to it. Somebody who has the time and bandwidth and will both benefit from your idea. <laughs> All right, sounds good. I'll, I'll send you snapshots. If you're as successful as possible, what is true about the world in 10 years? In 10 years, we have a clear trajectory towards a healthy climate, let's say late in our lifetime. Meaning that, you know, like we have solved every one of the issues. If, you know, like if If you look at Project Drawdown, they'll go through the list of everything and its contribution to emissions and, you know, and all ranked. So, you know, we then, every one of these ends up having a commercially ready solution and it's on its way to its global rollout. And it's very clear that this is where capital is flowing. This is where, you know, the uh, government is supporting And we are now not living with the angst of looking at the future. And as Elon said, 
feeling sad. Mm. We can look at the future and go, hey, you know, we inherited a rough situation. We may experience a bunch of destabilization in our lifetime, but at least we know that for humanity overall, we corrected course. Totally. I think that was, I mean, that's been the biggest way, even after this Trump presidency, like what Trump did was, was doing was awful in so many ways, but it was more the like trajectory that was so sad and scary. You're like, oh, is this the direction we're going? Because that's not a future that even excites me. I don't want that to be the story of my generation and whatnot. And well, that's a small blip in this larger trajectory change that you're talking about. All right, I'm gonna run you through some quick hitters and I'm gonna give you the floors. Quick hitter number one, what's the most impactful book you've read lately? Oh, uh, Obama's latest book, I loved it. He's a great writer. Oh my God. Uh, okay, number two, who's a change maker you've been inspired by recently? Joe Sandberg. Aspiration. Founder of Aspiration. I mean, I'm biased in the sense because I know him personally, so I know his totally. heart, I know his mind, I know where, where he's going and gosh, like, you know, this guy becomes a multi-billionaire from aspiration. You know, what he's going to do with that money and that power and that position is super authentic. I mean, it's mm. not, it's not a, totally. it's basically not an ego trip. Just watching somebody like in front of my eyes become a multi-billionaire and then, and knowing that it's to him, it's just a tool for change, for positive change making is awesome. That's it. Totally. Joe has an awesome like tweet every day of what the minimum wage should be. I love his daily tweet there. I really hope aspiration wins. That's awesome. He's, he's I'm happy you're calling him out to wrap it up. The floor is yours. Whatever you feel like sharing, please share it. Uh, well, uh, I'd like to share that, um, diversity makes us stronger. You know, I'm an immigrant. I came here, you know, I brought in half a billion dollars worth of foreign direct investment into this country. Don't be scared of people who don't look like you or sound like you. None of us are better than each other. Like America is a beautiful idea. Let's all just build it together. Let's spread the values of this nation. We're not perfect. We're far from perfect, but let's make sure that we strive towards that together every single day. Mm. Let's lock arms and I'll work on climate. You work on social justice, you be <laughs> kind to your neighbor, you grow a community garden, help a homeless person. Let's lead with love, lead with kindness. Let's stop all this xenophobia and hate. Let's take care of each other. There's so much you know, emotional, mental, financial pain coming out of this pandemic. Totally. Just support each other. Let's just, let's just get this done. Let's stop fighting and being divisive and let's just lock arms and make life more delicious. Thank you for listening to What We Don't Know. If you're looking for more content like this, you can head over and be a supporter on our Patreon, patreon.com slash WWDK. You can also follow us on social. We're WWDKpod on Twitter and Instagram. I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. All right, take care.